Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. 21 years, he was an executive um, at a multi-billion dollar corporation, and it was by his great favor and his original open door. Actually, the first uh, Fortune 500 company I had the opportunity of going into was because God connected us. Yay. I remember there was like five leaders and I spent a day of leadership training and he comes up and says, can you do this in the marketplace? And I said, yes, I have a company. And that was the beginning of partnering with him then. He has retired from that and he has started his own company, Ikeda Innovations, correct? And um, so I just celebrate what he carries in the natural to impact this nation. I mean, there are stories where our nation was protected, nations of the earth were protected because of the skills and the abilities of this man and those he led in that organization. Isn't that right? I'm not exaggerating. We don't realize how our lives can influence so many. And so I celebrate that, but I also celebrate the man of God that he is and his heart for the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule and reign of God and his heart to see the kingdom of God established in individual lives and communities and nations. And so uh, I just welcome you with all our love, with all our gratitude. So good to be here. I am hoping my laptop lets me log in. So um, thank you guys so much. So good to be here. Um, I just love being here. It just feels like home. Um, and uh, the worship team, man, you guys are just getting better and better. Thank you for ushering in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, Apostle Steve and Melody, these guys have been sowing into my life through all kinds of leadership, uh, counseling, and uh, um, uh, mentoring through the years. I mean, they've probably sown more into me than I've sown into them. So I love being able to serve on the, on the board and, and being able to contribute, and at least contribute something back for all that you guys have sown into me. Um, anyway, they, it's just been a wonderful partnership. So I appreciate... Um, I appreciate uh, being here, and I thank you for uh, the opportunity. Um, can we just pray for a minute? Just pray. So thank you, Lord, for this, your sweet presence. How good it is to be here with you, Lord. Thank you for being here with us. Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge you. Lord, that your ways are higher than our ways, so, Lord, that we just maximally empty ourselves out of self, maximally invite you in. So come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come now. Fill us, Lord. Guide us through this time. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
It is my hope that, uh, how much time do I have? <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll move quickly. Um, so my hope is there is a lot that the Lord has just deposited um, through the recent years. Um, and I just want to share that with you. Is that okay? Um, some of this is going to come from a business, per- well, actually most of this is going to come from a business perspective. So, um, you know, whether you need to take that with a grain of salt or not, um, um, take it as, as it is. Um, but I just feel like that God has just done so many wonderful things, and the fundamental revelation was the Great Commission. So Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This particular photograph, right, is Apollo 11. We just celebrated the 50th anniversary of the landing. Can you believe that? You know, um, 8-bit microprocessors, right? Anyway, <laughs> you guys, most of you guys probably don't know. You have more power in your cell phone than all of the computers that went up on the moon. Anyway, this is one of the first photographs um, from the moon to the earth. And one of the things that, I, that is interesting to note is, can you see the boundaries between the nations from moon? <laughs> right? Isn't it amazing how distance increases our perspective? Isn't it amazing how the planet just looks like one, one population of people? No boundaries between the nations. Make disciples of all the nations. Not some of the nations. Not some, right? Jesus' heart is every single one of them. So I got to tell you, and I got to confess, my original conceptualization of the harvest was this. Some, some field that was huge, and you guys should know right farming better than I do, but I just thought there was these two little sprigs of harvest in this gigantic field. Why? So I started to ask the question of why is the, how big is the harvest actually? How big is it? And how many people actually go through this narrow gate that Jesus talked about? And because it's so narrow, I'm trying to depict a little narrow gate there into the field of harvest. If the, the gate is that narrow, then you only need the evangelists, right, in the congregation to go into the field to do the harvest because there's so little to harvest, right? That's not my job. I'm not a harvester. So here's where my conceptualization came from. Jesus said, for wide is the gate that leads to destruction, easy to find, and many will go through it, right? But for the gate is narrow that leads to life, and the way is hard to life, and those who find it are few. And the Greek word there means to find, get, obtain, perceive, see, right? So here was my misconception. My misconception was that the gate had to do with how many people, the width of the gate how many do, had to do with how many people pass through the gate. But, you know, how many know the Scripture, right, confirms Scripture? 
right? So here's Revelation 7. So here's John observing this worship happening in the throne room of heaven, and he's seeing a multitude, a vast multitude of people, a multitude so big that no one can number it, right? So, and heaven can count to some pretty high numbers if they, right? (laughs) Billions and billions, right? Galaxies. So, So, and look, it's made up of every nation, representing from every nation, tribe, and tongue, right? Up there it says nation, tribe, people, group, and language, right? So how does an innumerable multitude fit through a narrow gate? So challenging my thinking. Well, the reality is the width of the gate is not describing how many people pass through the gate. The width of the gate describes how easy or difficult it is to find. He said the wide gate is easy to find, right? And he said the narrow gate is hard and few find it. Not how many pass through it. So what's our job? Every one of you here has found the gate because the gate is Jesus, right? So what's our job? (laughs) Our job is to point the way, is to tell the world, hey, the gate to life is over here. I tried to pick an illustration. There's a little cutout in that hedge there. <laughs> it's illustrate hard to find. How big is the harvest? How big is the harvest? Let's look at some of the words of Jesus. So Jesus says, there's going to be two in bed, one taken, one not. Two grinding at the wheel, one taken, one not. Two in the field, one taken, one not. Sure sounds like one out of every two. Let's look again. The parable of the ten maidens, right? Does everybody know this parable? Right? So I don't need to go through the parable. Right? In, in this parable, there are five maidens that are wise and five maidens that forgot extra oil. And so they, when the bridegroom is delayed, right, the, the five unwise, foolish go off and run out to find oil. In the meantime, the bridegroom comes and five make it and five don't. Right? Five out of ten. Sure sounds like one out of two again. Right? One more. Of the two that were crucified with Jesus, right? One made it, one didn't. Is the Lord trying to tell us something? That our aim needs to be higher than what we've been, at least what I've been thinking. That maybe the aim is more like half or more, right? In fact, so here's my original impression, right? Let's go back to my harvest. But the Lord has a different concept because it is his desire. Here's Second Peter, right? The Lord desires that none should perish, that all should come. Right? There's another scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that says, God wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of him. Right? All. So our target needs to be a lot bigger than the least I was thinking. Right? Is that, is that okay? So the next question to ask is, am I a harvester? I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a, right, the evangelists are the guys, right, naturally effusive. I'm the kind of guy that I go to a conference, I kind of sit in the corner, right? I go to, a, a, you know, I go to an offsite meeting and I, I kind of, you know, sit at the edge or sit in the back row. I go to, right, anyway. I'm not the front, I don't like the front and center, right? I don't like that, that kind of, I don't like that anyway. That's uncomfortable for me. That's not my comfort zone. Anyway, so I'm not the evangelist, but am I a harvester? Right? So Jesus had 
some conceptualizations of the church. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. Greek word is ekklesia. Let's take a look at that. So here's Dr. Ed Silvoso. Anybody here of Ed Silvoso? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, some, some, not many. Okay, okay. Um, so Dr. Ed Silvoso is an evangelist. Um, he uh, has written a whole series of books, and he is uh, apostolically leading a movement of transformation throughout the world. And his mission, he is in his 70s, his mission is to live the rest of his years birthing ecclesias throughout the world. And so let's understand what, what his, this concept is. So he's, he is defining what Jesus' definition of ecclesia is right here. So an ecclesia is when two or three people gather in his name, right, to manifest the presence of Jesus under the presence of the Holy Spirit with the authority to bind and loose for God's will to manifest in our spheres of influence. So, um, so two or three believers, how many believers we have in the house, right? So it's whenever two or three of us gather, invite the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus to bring about God's will in our spheres of influence. So how many people here, um, let me, how many work, have a job and work for a living? So most. Okay, how many are in school? Go to school. You guys are in school. Some. Okay. Um, and how many are at home and family? You know, stay, have the blessing of stay-at-home mom. Okay, got retired. Wonderful. Wonderful. Bless you. So, okay. But this we're talking about affects all three of those areas, right? So whether you have a job, you're in school, or you're working from home, or you're retired, right? This, this is relevant to all three. So Jesus actually commissioned an ecclesia in Luke 10. And with that commissioning, he gave us the strategy of how to birth transformation in our region. So here we go. In Luke 10, he took 70 and he sent them out two by two, right? It says they're pairs. To go ahead of him. And prepare the way. And here's his instruction. And here's the strategy. Once you enter a house, speak to the people there and say, God's blessing of peace be upon this house. When you enter in a new town and you've been welcomed by its people, follow these rules. Eat what is served you, then heal the sick, number two, and tell them all God's kingdom realm has arrived and is now within your reach. All right. I'm going to put that on the shelf for a second. In the background, we're going to come back to that, and I'll dig down a little bit deeper. But let's look at the Apostle Paul, right, the first church planter, and let's look at his experience of what he did. So here's a map of the Middle East, really around Turkey and kind of Greece. Um, so there are six cities in, in Acts where, where Paul went to a town, a city, um, and he birthed revival in all six of these cities. But four of these cities, revival was squelched and stopped, was aborted. And two of these cities, revival sustained. So let's take a look at what happened, okay? 
So in Acts chapter 13, 14, and 17, Paul goes to these four cities, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Thessalonica. So here's what happens. Paul goes, and he goes to the church, synagogue, and he preaches like we're doing today. He preaches so profoundly. Miracles, signs, and wonders are manifesting. And people are getting saved in large numbers. But the religious and the marketplace leaders, out of a spirit of religion or jealousy, stir up a resistance, a rebellion. And they, their rebellion is so strong. In fact, at one point, they threw Paul and Barnabas out of town. They threw Paul out of town, kicked him out of town, stopped revival, and stoned him and left him for dead. Right? That was... But here's the difference. Here's what happened in Corinth and Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 and 19. Paul does a different model. Paul goes to Corinth. The first thing he does is a marketplace action. He goes and starts a tent-making business. So how many of you... If you were commissioned to go evangelize a city, the first thing you would do is start a business. <laughs> it sounds counterintuitive, right? So, so here he is. He goes into, he meets Aquila and Priscilla, and they partner together, and they do a tent-making business, right? So the tents in those days were the temporary housing of the day, right? So tents are that which is, you know, comparable to hotels or motels today. So these, you know, Aquila and Priscilla are kind of like the Marriott and Hilton of the day, right? So, but here's what's happening. So Paul being, right, and um, previously, right, when I was here, um, when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, you are to work the garden, right? He used the Greek, or the Hebrew word, avad. And avad means to work, and it means to worship, God placed us in the Garden of Eden before the fall to work and worship the Garden, to work and through our work, that be a form of our worship to God by working the Garden. Our work is a form of worship. So Paul knows this, and Paul is doing excellent work, treating his customers really well. Who's he interfacing with? Well, probably one of the big customers are the Roman army because they need tents, but also people who travel. And people who travel are usually the wealthy people of that day. So he's, he's, he's interacting with the, with the upper class. So what's happening? He's, he's chatting with them as he's finishing up the tent, right? Building relationship, corresponding, understanding what's going on. And maybe, even, oh, would you like me to pray for you? Maybe even ministering miracles, signs, and wonders just through the commerce of business, right? Can you see that happening? So here's what happens. He's, he's still going in the synagogue. He's still going to the church. He's still preaching, right? Still doing his revival meetings. People are still getting saved. Miracle, sign, and wonders. He's still getting viciously slandered and abused, the, 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 right? There's still the rebels in the area that are still trying to viciously slander him and attack him. But here's the difference now. Because Paul has been interacting with the people, there are marketplace leaders that have, are customers of his through the tent-making business. There are marketplace leaders. There are religious leaders. So the very 
some of the very ones that were the religious opposition, right, on the left-hand side of this chart, are now being blessed by him and ministered to by him. So what are they going to do? Wait a minute. These guys are attacking my friend. These guys are attacking the guy through whom my wife got healed. These guys are attacking this guy who's bringing blessing to my, my business. Right? What are they going to do? They're going to come to his defense. And that's exactly what happened. Because when we do our church-only activities, the marketplace where the lost is, they see us as irrelevant to them. When we take our business and use it as a platform to touch people's lives, whether it's going to PTA meetings or whether it's interacting with my job or sitting in person in the, in the, you know, working the machine next to me or working in the office next to me or whether I'm on the road and on a sales, right, sales call. If I'm thinking and constantly connected, like Ecclesia, two or three, gathering a name, under the manifest presence of Jesus, under the operation and power of the Holy Spirit, we just speak and bless the people that we work with, right? If we want favor from the world, we got to give favors to the world. Yes. When we do them favors, they'll give us favor in return. And in Corinth, there was an opposition. They took up a legal case. How many have seen Christians go through legal battles, right? And here, the judge, the marketplace people actually came to Paul's defense and threw out the case. And revival sustained a year and a half, and Paul turned over the reins to Apollos, and Paul then moved on to Ephesus. Ephesus, there's a huge riot, a riot of resistance, so huge that they filled a stadium of rioters. And many of the rioters didn't even know why they were gathering, but there was such an upheaval. But what happened? The marketplace leadership came to Paul's defense. Read through that, those chapters. It's really amazing to see it from a marketplace perspective and the role that the marketplace played. The key is the integration of ministry with marketplace was the key to sustaining revival. So there's a biblical basis for the ecclesia moving forward. If you guys want the slides, right, goes... Right, that um, you're welcome to have right digital copies. So, <clears throat> so here's what happened. It says in Acts 19 that in two years, yeah. the entire region. It says Asia. Asia. Just think of modern day Turkey, circled in green. In two years, over a million people. In two years, every person in that region heard the gospel. It doesn't say every person gave their heart to the Lord, right? But it says. The, the effectiveness of the ministry was so penetratingly powerful that every single person heard the word of the Lord. So can we apply that to us? Can we apply that to Harrisburg and the greater central Pennsylvania region? Can we imagine what if, what if we can do something in our own little lives? What if we can play a part to start this snowball of revival going with a marketplace integration? Can we get, and, and Paul didn't have the benefit of smartphones or digital media networking. He had to do everything the hard way, transportation. He had to do everything the hard way. And still he reached a million people in two years. Can we do it? Yes. 
Can we birth it in this region, right? <laughs> okay. In order to do it, I think there's a couple of shifts, right? There's one shift, I think, that's really important, and then there's an equipping. So let me just quickly go through this, and then I want to show a video. There's new wineskins. So here we go. The Old Testament days. Our Savior wasn't here on the planet. Oh, I just went through that whole thing. Sorry. So the point is, in the Old Testament days, right, we were told we had to avoid, we couldn't touch anyone with leprosy or we would get it. The disease would uh, compromise our purity, right? We had to avoid anything unclean. We couldn't eat anything unclean, otherwise we would become unclean. Sure sounds like the, the power arrow was in favor of the devil, because the only way to stay pure was through avoidance and separation. But in the New Testament, Jesus came. And Jesus lives in us. The most powerful, the most loving person in the universe came to walk this planet, rose, conquered sin and death, right? And now sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. So now what happens? Now our purity is not compromised to, to the impure. Our purity is more powerful than anything the devil has to offer. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Yes. We have that power in us. But that power is for a purpose. Because Jesus said, but you in Acts, right? This is right before he ascends. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you think it's by accident that Jesus puts in the same sentence the power of the Holy Spirit and reaching the end of the earth? Dr. Ed Silvoso says, the ultimate purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to disciple nations. The reason why you have been endowed with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is to use that power to transform our region to become a disciple of God. Make sense? Yeah. So here's the shift. Here's the manifestation of the old wineskin. The old methodology is the orchestra practices inside the concert hall and expects the people to come to them. You with me? Right? So who's the audience that the orchestra is going to reach? Whoever shows up, right? That analogy, apply it to the church, right? How the model change is we will only reach our churches. We will only reach the, church, the people that come into our doors with this old wineskin model. Anybody hear of a flash mob? Yeah. What's the beauty of the flash mob? So here is a picture of a flash mob. This particular flash mob is one particular bassist goes out into the city square and starts playing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. 
And slowly, one by one, different orchestra members start showing up and playing. And a crowd all of a sudden is interested and intrigued and curious and starts standing around to see how this is going to unfold. The whole symphony shows up, a choir, right, among the audience. And it all climaxes with this tremendous climax, big, big performance, and then done. What's the message? There are people that would have otherwise never heard a Beethoven symphony in their entire life because they never would have gone to a concert hall to receive that performance, right? Can we take a, a card out of their playbook? Can we take our message to the people and reach people that otherwise would never come through those doors? Can we go to where they are? The beauty of these flash mobs is the orchestra takes the performance to where the people are. And they get exposed to things they never would have had the orchestra not taken their blessing to the people. When Jesus said, gave us the Great Commission, he didn't say, come and make disciples of all nations. He said, go. So let's examine what Jesus said. So Jesus started his ministry by announcing it in Luke 4. He unrolled the scroll in the synagogue, to, pulled it to Isaiah 61, and he read this scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to basically minister to the poor, captives, blind, and oppressed. Right? Everybody remember? Right? Each one of those ministry targets of Jesus is our ministry target. Jesus is giving us the metrics to measure our, the depth of transformation in our region. Why? Because each one of those represents a different form of poverty. The poor is financial poverty. The captive is relationally in poverty, right? Lonely, unable to establish heart-to-heart -heart connections, right? Estranged from family. The blind, spiritual poverty. Right? Blind to the truth, can't see it, not getting it. The oppressed, motivational poverty. Right? People are stuck or depressed, hopeless. We know that transformation has progressed when th these metrics start to decrease. And here we go, back to Luke 10. This is the strategy that, Luke, that Jesus gave on how to do an ecclesia, how to birth an ecclesia. He said basically four things. Peace, eat, heal, tell. Okay? So here we go. Peace. What Ed has learned, Ed Silvoso has learned, is prayer walk your sphere of influence. Prayer walk your company. Prayer walk your neighborhood. Prayer walk your city and declare peace. Why peace? Peace is a strategic weapon described in Romans 16. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's a strategic intercessory prayer weapon to declare peace in your environment, in your atmosphere, because the enemy will have a hard time making war in an environment of God's peace. Peace is strategically important. The prayer of peace, the declaration of peace in your school, in your business, in your neighborhood is like the air cover from the Air Force 
in the air war. Second is eat, fellowship. Just hang out, not minister, not preach, not mentor, just hang out and meet them where they are and just fellowship, just talk, just relate, see a ball game, watch football together, right? Just do things in relationship. Why? Because that builds trust. Next thing is heal. Healing is taking care of their needs. What what do you need God to do for you today? How can I pray for you? And that's how you release the goodness of God. And that's how you introduce them to experiencing God as a good God. God is not a finger-pointing, accusational, condemning God. God is love, and love is patient, and love is kind, and gentle, and keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah, they might have a completely opposite political opinion of you, but God still loves them, and we can too. Yeah, they might be from a different side of the tracks. They might be in a whole different field, but we still can find something in common to connect. And then the last thing is, after we've prayed and blessed them and prayed for the region and released peace into the atmosphere, after we've built relationship with them and fellowship with them, done acts of service for them, right? We do favor for them. If we want favor from them, we'll do, we have to do favors for them, right? Then minister to their needs, then tell them about Jesus. That whole plan, that whole strategy is outlined in this book, if you're interested. and You want to know how to evangelize your, or birth an ecclesia in your, um, in your sphere of influence, right? This book outlines that prayer strategy and the shifting mindsets, Loretta, right? That comes in this book and mobilizing ecclesias to transform our region. Actually, his cornerstone books are actually two books. called One's called Transformation, and the other's called Ecclesia. So if you want to see the big picture, if you're a big picture person, you want to see what the end state's supposed to look like, start there, and then work backwards. Okay, the last thing I want to do, Ecclesia is when two or three gather in his name. And Jesus said, whenever two or three gather, there I am among them. Right, so bringing the presence, operating in the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit, bringing the will of God to bind and loose in our sphere of influence. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father God, we are so thankful that your heart is that none should perish. Thank you, Lord, that you want to see every single person reached for you, loved by you, touched for you. Father, I thank you that you've got ideas. Mm, Holy Spirit, go ahead. Release, release. Just release your ideas right now. Just percolate them within this flock, Lord, within giving light, Lord. Percolate your ideas for Ecclesia right now. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the heart 
Thank you for the, this revelation. And thank you for the, your Holy Spirit motivation to bring transformation to central Pennsylvania. The heart of this pivotal state in the union. The birthplace, the state that houses the birthplace of this nation. Pivotal, pivotal. Pennsylvania is called the Keystone State. So yeah, the keystone of transformation in this nation. Equip us, Lord. Bless us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.